Well, welcome back once again to Talking with Tech presented by Speech Science. I am joined as always by my colleague, Rachel Madel. How are you in sunny LA? I'm great. How are you guys doing? Pretty good. It's uh, it's about thirty-two degrees and rainy here, so I'm a little bit uh, a little bit jealous. But you know what? It's it's paperwork day, so I get to sit inside. Yeah. Um, I've been spending my time rooting a Kindle and throwing a bunch of uh, bootleg AAC on it. So uh, you know, shoot me an email, Luke at speechscience.org, if you want a thirty-dollar tablet. Just just saying. Um, <laughs> I don't know if I should admit these things. Uh, and of course, Mr. Chris Begay, how are you, sir? Uh, I'm just trying to stay warm out here right now. We are in the middle of that, uh, what's it called? The the Arctic bomb or something like that? Yeah, I've been reading about that. It's supposed to be the coldest in uh, in a long time, right? Yeah, yeah. We've had uh, two snow days, but aren't with no snow. It's just uh, cold days. So I've been uh, putting the weather stripping around the windows and, and uh, putting the air dryer on them. <laughs> I was just back on the East Coast for the holidays. And when I first got there, it was moderately cold. And I was like, oh man, I miss winter. And then it got real feel of two degrees. And I was like, get me out of here. I can't. Yeah, yeah forget it. Forget it. Anything below 30, well, 32 is about my cutoff. But then I, but then being the redhead that I am, anything above 65 is also my cutoff. So I've got a pretty <laughs> narrow threshold. You know. I think you know, Portland is great for you then, Lucas. Say, yeah. That's why you live where you live. Exactly. Exactly. When the Thai people ask me how hot I want my food, I just say no. <laughs> <laughs> well, on to the meat of the thing. Thanks for, uh, for listening to us, uh, everyone out there. This is our 10th episode. I can't believe it. Um, we have about 10,000 people listening to us. And I'm, I, that's all I'm going to say about that because I'm a little bit intimidated. I'm going to start saying more ums and ahs than usual. But um, you know, Rachel, I, I rarely see you as excited about an interview as you are today. So tell us a little bit about it. So today we're talking with Karen Owens. She is fantastic. She is a parent to several children with complex communication needs. Um, she's adopted them, which is a whole nother story, but she has quickly gained a following. You know, she just kind of came on the scene for social media you know, maybe six months ago. Um, but she's doing a lot of really great modeling of pod. Um, so we're going to talk, we talk a little bit about what pod is in the interview for those clinicians out there who don't know that specific system, but she's just fantastic. She's an inspiration. She, she talks about her experience as a mom. She knows so much about AAC. She could be a speech therapist. So I just could not be more excited. Yeah, well, that's what they say, right? Is that you know I've, I'll have uh, I'll go into a home and people will say, "Well, you're the expert. What do you do?" And I say, "Oh, you're the expert. This is <laughs> this is your child. You know, exactly. you're gonna you'll end up knowing a lot more than me." So, pod, this is pragmatically organized dynamic display. Am I getting that correct? Yes. Uh, and and you might go into it, right? So I guess I won't um, mm -hmm. drill down too much into that. But um, I you know I'll say I've seen a lot of students using pods still, even years later. Um, yeah. What What are um, you know? One of the things that I guess uh, we want to talk about, uh, you know, in this podcast, and that we have uh, over and over again, I think, but is is some of the challenges that we face as uh, as clinicians, right? And one of them that I remember with Pod specifically is sitting down in the basement with the laminator for for a really long time. Uh -huh. You know, are, is this still as labor intensive as it used to be, or how's that changed? Well, you know, what's interesting is that during the interview with Karen, she talks about 
you know, it's not all rainbows and unicorns. She, she realizes that this is a huge time commitment. And this is something that is a marathon, not a sprint, which I thought was really interesting. And I'd love to kind of post to you guys, you know, to talk about managing expectations. I think that, you know, in my practice, that's one of the hardest things. We, we finally get through an AAC assessment and deliver this beautiful device. And the assumption is that we put it in front of a child and magic's going to happen. Um, and it just, it's not as, as, as simple as that. And I think that it's hard because parents expect, oh, my child's going to start talking right away. And there's just so many hours and hours of modeling and training and teaching that's, that takes, that you have to take into account. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that example that you use, that analogy of uh, sprint, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon, is, is an excellent one, meaning it might not even be a marathon. It might be multiple marathons, right? <laughs> one of those uh, ultra-thons. Exactly. Yeah, <laughs> or, you, or you start with the 5K, right? Exactly. But it, understanding that it takes a lot of training to get to that end result, and you will get there. You can get there but it's not an immediate fix. And sometimes uh, I think media like um, news programs or something like that, a parent will see a quick blip about, hey, uh, so-and-so got a device of some sort, whether it's pod or something else, right? Some sort of communication system. And suddenly the world of, uh, opened up to them and they were able to say all these things they couldn't say before. And it's like so rare that that happens because you're really working with language development, which takes long time, you know? Yeah. Right. And, you know, we see, the end result, right? Those blips of video, Apple actually does a really great job with um, very inspirational videos about AAC. We see the end result, right? So it's just like the expectation is, oh, well, this technology is, is the solution. Well, this technology is a tool to get to the solution, which is teaching the language that, you know, these children need to learn in order to communicate with us. Right. Right. Well, and we can even generalize that to, you know, I know probably many of us have seen that Autism Speaks commercial where there's the student in the forest and then all of a sudden he sprouts wings and next thing you know, he's, he's hugging his parents and he has an age today, you know. Um, you know, and, and I'm not saying that's not a beautiful commercial and a great sentiment, but, you know, the, when you talk about managing expectations, you know, I've been a private practice clinician, obviously, for, for many years. Rachel, you have as well. You know, mm -hmm. Chris, you're, you're still embedded to, for better or for worse. And, and you know, and, and I'm not saying any one of these things is more noble or valid than the other. It's just they present different sets of challenges, right? And, mm -hmm. and I've seen it go both ways, right? I've seen, I've gone into schools and I've gone to the IEP meetings and I've seen goals that are, you know, that they, they establish an expectation for the parents that is unrealistic. And then the worst case scenario is then you see a teacher who attempts to provide data to validate this expectation that my observations don't corroborate, right? Um, but then I've also seen the opposite, right, where there's very low expectations at school and then I get hired, um, you know, to, because the parents aren't satisfied and then their expectation is like, oh, you're the expert, you've got the website, you've got the podcasts or whatever, you know, you're yeah. going to fix it. And um and, and in both cases, there really is this, you know, there's a gap in education, not just on part of the, the parents, but also of the educators, right? And I think the problem lies in, we don't see a 
immediate result. So it has to be the system. It has to be this device is not working. So then, you know, it's like we're hopping from system to system. We're not giving one system a chance. Right. You know, Rachel, you know what? I just walked out of an IEP meeting this last week with the exact same scenario where a family was like, yeah, okay, we've been using this for a handful of years and he's plateaued. We want a different system. And I said, here's what's going to happen. You're going to take that system away. The one he knows that he's actually using in in some regard, Uh, you'll give him a new system. And you know what? It'll work. It'll absolutely work because what other choices he have? He's got no other system. He's going to use the one he gave him. And it's going to look like he's making progress. And three years down the line, he's going to plateau again. And he'll just keep going round and round. Or you can stick with it and we can do interventions in a different way. We can look at training in a different way. We can look at how we're providing instruction in a different way. Right. Yeah. Right. That's fantastic. Well, I'm really excited to hear about this. I mean, this is, uh, it's been long overdue, not only on this podcast, but on our other two to talk about, um, you know, even just the IEP process. And and what parents go through, um, you know, when advocating for their children with assistive technology or augmentative communication. And, you know, I know one question that, that I get asked a lot, and maybe we can come back to this in, in the, you know, the outro. So please do stick around, by the way, folks. We, uh, we, we very often talk more, um, you know, at the end of the episode, trying to come up with a solution and some real, some real tips that you can take into the classroom or into your home the next day and, uh, and implement. Um, but one question I get asked a lot is how do you really encode, uh, you know, AT or AAC into an IEP? Um, you know, I had once one parent asked me, do you, do you ask for, you know, under accommodations, do you put AAC for 5,600 hours, right? Just so it's covered the whole school year, you know, the student's supposed to have it. Um, and, uh, that's a unique approach. <laughs> I haven't heard that one before. Um, and I tend to hear those, you know, when there's a litigious situation and other things, but, um, you know, I mean, it, I guess it raises a lot of questions and maybe we should uh, save the answers until, um, until after the interview. Well, you know what? I have a lot, I have a really interesting and unique solution to that problem, but I'm definitely going to save it for after the interview. All right. Well, without further ado, um, let's welcome Karen Owens to talking with tech right after this brief break. All right, so we actually have some pretty exciting new news. Um, For those of you that are big Facebook aficionados, which is definitely me, I'm one of those Facebook people, uh, you might have noticed that we have a Talking With Tech group, which is just facebook.com slash Talking With Tech. Or you can just search for Talking With Tech and you will track down um, the group. So anyway, inside the group, uh, we're starting to grow a lot what we are starting to do. So we have some app giveaways. In fact, we just did our first one. We've got some cool things like photos with the people that we interviewed. Like I just ran into Alex from uh, Saki app that we interviewed uh, you know, recently. Um, we're gonna be doing all kinds of uh, Q&A sort of written stuff, like writing articles and then asking some questions about it and discussing. And then we have one really exciting idea, right, Rachel? I'm really excited for this, Lucas, because I feel like the need is so great. We've been getting a lot of questions from you guys via email, which is super exciting, but we can't possibly answer all of them. So what we decided to do was that once a month in the Facebook group, we're gonna do a live event, a Q&A. So we're gonna have you guys join us, answer your questions about implementation, specific app questions if you have them. I'm not saying that we're the biggest experts out there, but um, I am really excited to, to spend something like an hour, uh, you know, once a month, 
just as an open forum. We'll just sit there and answer the questions and, uh, you know, and then report the sucker and make sure it's available for others. So, all right. So once again, go and ch uh, check out uh, facebook.com slash talking with tech or just look up talking with tech. Uh, there actually is also a page uh, listed as a journalist, but the one that we, the one, the important one is a group. Actually, there's some. You'll see, there's 700 some odd people in there. Um, and post a question, introduce yourself, uh, give us a review if you'd like. But more than anything, um, if you want to get a hold of us with any questions, so that we know ahead of time, please post them there or email us at tech at speechscience.org, and we'll make sure to uh, to get to your concern. Looking forward to it. Welcome back to Talking with Tech. I'm your host, Rachel Madel, joined today by Karen Owens. Karen and her husband, Adam, are proud parents to six children, five of which have complex communication needs and use AAC. Karen travels the country speaking about her family's AAC journey, and most of you might be familiar with her Facebook page, We Speak Pod, which currently has over 15,000 followers. Karen Owens, welcome to our show. We're so excited to have you here. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. You are an AAC rock star, honestly. I'm a huge fan of your work. <laughs> I follow you on Instagram and Facebook. You have a YouTube uh -huh. channel. You could be a speech therapist, honestly. Yeah, no, we love what we do. We never expected that life would kind of turn out this way. But now that it has, it's, it's, it's pretty fun. So Yeah, I'd love for you to kind of share your story, how you got started with AAC. Yeah, sure. Um, well, Adam and I have been married for 15 years. We had um, our first daughter, Madison, in 2009. And then in 2010, our second son, Gavin, was born. Um, unfortunately, Gavin was born with some pretty major medical needs, both medical and developmental. And he passed away when he was three and a half years old. Um, and after he passed away, some time went on and we just felt like um, that was not the end of our story, um, that just something, there's something more out there for us. And that's when we found out about adoption, specifically adopting children with complex needs. So we said we wanted one. <laughs> <laughs> and that, that kind of grew. Um, once we kind of got our crew together, we really began to see like there is something more for these kids. There's way more for these kids. These kids are way smarter and way more capable than anybody on this earth has ever given them credit for. And so we began searching to the answers to that, how we could bring out their, their intelligence and their personalities and uh, whatever they had to give to the world. Um, and so that's kind of how we started with AAC. We caught the vision of like having robust AAC and lots and lots of words. Um, and once we um, kind of caught that vision and we took off big time. <laughs> No, absolutely. And it's inspirational, your story. And I just, it's interesting because you, you know, you're a parent, you're not a speech therapist, but no. you have kind of dove into that world and it's yeah. fantastic. Yeah, it was difficult at first because um, at first my children were in public school mm -hmm. and yet they weren't being taught. 
they weren't being taught anything about bus communication, let alone reading and writing. And it came to the point where we had to actually pull our kids out of school in order to teach them which is sad, but unfortunately it's a reality. Absolutely. So I'd love, I've heard you speak before and you talk about your core beliefs when it comes to AAC. And I would love for you to share that with our listeners. Well, our thing is that everything has a starting point in life. And when I give presentations, I love to show pictures of my husband and I. <laughs> like uh, when we first got married, you know, that was our starting point. And everybody laughs because he has like frosted tips in his hair. And uh, so we, I always say, you know, if you have a good starting point, you're going to have a good future. And I feel like the same is true for AAC. And we kind of call that starting point our core beliefs. And basically, our core beliefs are that communication is for everybody, absolutely everybody. Nobody is too something uh, to be able to be taught to communicate. Every individual with complex communication needs, they also should be exposed to robust AAC, which means lots and lots and lots of words, not like a pick from four or six. And the fact that we should always be working towards autonomous communication, which of course is different than independent communication. You can be an autonomous communicator and still not be independent. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. And you, your Facebook page is We Speak Pod. And I'd love to hear about your journey with, because there's tons, there's tons of systems, programs, apps, there's lots of options out there. What made you choose Pod? Um, We chose Pod for our family for several reasons, but probably the main reason is that um, all my kids have different diagnoses, uh, which means that they're all going to access the system in different ways. Mm -hmm. So we have one child who uses eye gaze, We have one child that uses partner-assisted auditory plus visual scanning. We have two children that can point um, with their finger so they can use direct access, um, both high-tech and light-tech. POD is the only system out there that offers that. And there's no way that I would have had my kids learning multiple languages at at once in our house. That would have been a disaster. Yes. (laughs) That's kind of how we chose POD. It was really a fluke that we found it. Someone had mentioned this system and I had done just a ton of research. There really wasn't a lot out there. And so that's why I ended up starting the We Speak Pod Facebook page, Mm -hmm. uh, because we wanted no other family to have to go through what we went through. And that is just feeling completely alone, unsupported, and um, just not having an example to follow. We changed that because there's a huge example to follow now with, you know, 400 plus videos and posts. Oh my gosh. I know it's for our listeners out there, go to her YouTube page because there's so many great videos. Um, you know, I think that's something that's lacking in our field is a lot of good examples. We have a lot of training out there and a lot of information and resources, um, but there's not a ton of this is us with aided language stimulation and modeling and showing, showing, not just telling about what is going on. So, and it's real life. This is real life. So the good, the bad, the ugly. I think that you're, you're exactly right. It's, Sometimes it feels disconnected, you know, as a speech therapist, I'm just constantly trying to find ways to integrate into, you know, a child's life, but it's not always possible with scheduling and 
in a lot of ways, it's kind of artificial. Um, so that's why I spend a lot of my time teaching parents, you know, how to implement because ultimately they are, they are the, my strongest resource. It's all about the parents for sure. It absolutely yeah. is. Let's kind of go circle back. You know, most of our audience is SLPs. I would love for you to kind of speak to something that you feel like SLPs need to know from a parent's perspective because you have such a unique insight being a parent. This is what I also say to parents, but I believe that it, it really does apply to the, to the professionals as well. And that is um, the concept of dreaming big, because a lot of SLPs go into these classrooms and they're, they're going to see these highly complex children, uh, maybe in wheelchairs with no movement from the head down. And they're automatically kind of going to write them off that a Big Mac switch is what's best for them. We need to be dreaming big. The ability to dream and believe is the most powerful force used by mankind, for sure. And then oftentimes, when we show a child that we believe in them, it goes beyond just positive words. The SLPs are going to have positive actions, empowering them, educating them, and helping them to see their own potential. And that's done through believing in them, not just giving them two words, but giving them a whole book with thousands of words. You can't get much more positive than that. And I think a lot of SLPs get scared. They think it's too much, but it's not. And I, I love it when people can look at our family because my kids are the kids that aren't given the words. Yes. And they all have all the words and they're using all the words. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more. You have to start at a place of believing in a child's yeah. capabilities. And I think that, like you said, you know, a lot of times kids with complex needs are kind of written off. We're not even giving them the chance. Absolutely. And I said this quote in a speech that I gave, and I just love it, um, both for parents and for um, teachers and SLPs. And I said, when we start believing that these kids will one day grow up, play a meaningful role in society and tell their own damn story, it changes everything about the way we teach and view their education. It changes everything, you know, Absolutely. it's the power of belief. When we start believing that these kids could one day talk back to us and give report to the amount of education that they got, it's going to change the way we teach. Absolutely. And I think that I'm always trying to impress upon families and teams that this is not a, a short game. This is a long game. And just because you don't see the result right away doesn't mean that it's not coming. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of times we give up before we even start because, you know, we live in a society where everything's, everything's fast paced. We want a quick fix and yeah. it just takes a lot. It takes a lot of time. Mm -hmm. uh, I always tell parents and, uh, and professionals, the importance of finding your tribe. Because this is such a long journey and there, there are no easy fixes, we need to have a tribe surrounding us um, because our beliefs are way easier to maintain when they're within the community of others who share those same beliefs. If you're walking a journey alone, then most likely you're gonna fall off that path. But if you have a tribe behind you of like-minded people, whether it be parent to parent, whether speech pathologists, speech pathologists, teachers, school systems, uh, when we are working towards a common goal, we are working towards a common goal, and that is to provide every individual with a with a voice. And you can't chintz on that, you know, like that. That's important stuff. It's a voice, <laughs> you know. We're working towards something really, really big here—an opportunity to truly 
have these individuals live and connect um, with, with other people and with life in, in general. Absolutely. And I think that's what I love so much about We Speak Pod is that it's just a it's a support system. It's a network where parents can go and feel supported and, you know, kind of see what you're doing with your family and use that as inspiration, as motivation. Um, When times get tough, you know, it's, it's those supports that we fall back on that are the most crucial long-term success. Sure. And that's why, again, I really like to show um, on my pod page um, our moments of not so successful (laughs) love where like they're quiet because that's really, really important to know. Like, um, like I'm not going to show you a highlight reel of our life. That's just going to be a big lie. You know, of course I try to show the really, really cool moments, but for every really, really cool moment, there's probably like 23 more hours in that day that we were really struggling. (laughs) Yeah. You know, so that's just important to know that it's, it's long-term commitment. We're not in it to get a prize. It's, it's not about us. So like, you know, SLPs, you know, like don't take offense when they're not responding back because it's, it was never about you to begin with. It's about the kid and we need to give up on that. Like, oh my gosh, did you see what she did? Because I taught her that, like, it's not what this is about. This is about human beings. Mm-hmm. Um, and giving them true life. Yeah. And, you know, I think we are the gatekeepers in a lot of ways. And when we have kids who are nonverbal with comp- complex communication needs, we're the gatekeepers for the communication that they have, which is why it's so important to give them a robust system. So I just think that that's something that's it's not, it's not about us. And because it's not about us, we have to give them such a huge vocabulary because they need to decide what they want to tell us in any given moment. Yep. Yeah. I mean, I... It's interesting. I I always thought that I kind of knew what my kids were saying. Every parent seems to think that. And in some ways, you know, we know the basics. But I quickly learned when we started using pod that I was way off on many, many circumstances. And in one situation, Angela was sitting in um, her school chair. And I I had buckled in one of her legs, but I somehow forgot to buckle in the other leg. And I went out in the other room and she kind of fell out of her chair, just kind of hanging on by that buckle around her thigh. And she Mm -hmm. was crying and I go over to her and I comfort her. I'm like, I'm sorry. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. And I was modeling and I said, something's wrong, hurt. And uh, she shakes her head. No. And I'm like, okay, do you have something to say? She raises her hand and she said, I'm telling you something. It's about now feelings surprised. Oh my God. Surprised. She's, she's not hurt. It's scared the crap out of her. Right. Exactly. And you know, we would, we would only assume like hurt, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and those are the gems that we live for. Like you just never know what these kids are going to say. Um, another time we were at, um, uh, a restaurant that kind of, um, resembled a cafeteria kind of, very little, but um, Angela um, used her book to say, this reminds me of cafeteria. And she kept saying that. And we were like, what in the world? And we just couldn't figure it out. And then it clicked. We're like, oh my gosh, yes, this looks like a cafeteria. And just allowing her to be involved in, in communication and play a role in like our meal. She got to speak what she wanted to say, just the way, you know, I got to talk. Exactly. And, um, yeah. And we have those stories for all of the kids. Just 
uh, being included, um, you know, Saya, our oldest boy, being able to go to his church youth group, using age appropriate words. So he's yelling out like, that's lit, that's lit, you know, <laughs> preach it or <laughs> stuff like that. Um, all age appropriate. And uh, it's wonderful. It's amazing, you know, and, and he deserves that. And I'm so happy that we can give him um, just a little bit. He did all the work, but, you know. Yeah. 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 And, you know, that's the whole point, right? Like all this teaching and modeling for that end. To have you say something that I might not have ever guessed that you would say in a moment that we can share and we can enjoy and I can engage with you and connect because you said something. Yeah, absolutely. And also going back to, um, to that quote that I said, another big thing is just allowing them one day to tell their own story. You know, we speak for these kids way too much and we assume that they're thinking certain things, but Mm -hmm. what we should be doing is equipping them to one day tell their own story. Um, which I can only imagine how powerful that would be. Absolutely. Uh, And I truly believe that I will experience that with my children. I truly believe it. And that belief is what kind of probably propels you forward in those moments of it's not working. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain for our listeners out there who don't necessarily know what pod is, what it's all about? Sure. Um, Just for our listeners out there who don't know what pod is, can you just give a brief overview? Sure. Um, POD was actually developed in Australia by Gail Porter, and POD stands for Pragmatic Organization Dynamic Display, meaning that it's organized by pragmatic branches and not by core words and fringe words. POD, for us, um, gave our children the words that they needed, the organization, and the access they needed to gain both receptive and expressive language. Um, and that's, that's the thing about pod. It allows the user to say a lot of words without having to, to hold um, a heavy cognitive load in their brain yes. because the book basically leads you through what you would like to say. So for kids with some cognitive impairment um, and a lot of sensory and motor and whatever, this is just a really, really great system for them. And then of course the, the, Big selling point for me was that um, every child can access the same language system in a unique way that meets their individual needs. It also grows with them. So, you know, it goes down from one per page all the way up to um, complex syntax. It also can come in high contrast and um, the templates will soon be coming out for partner assisted auditory plus visual scanning. Right now it's only direct access. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a great system. We have tried other systems and they just didn't work for us. And it was all due to access. It yeah. wasn't that the language was bad. It was just, we just could not find a way to access the system. So pod pod met that need for us. Yeah. And I think you make a really good point. We don't have to rely on the working memory, holding on to something for a long period of time. And that's what, you know, with some of the users that I teach, it's just, it's such a, it's so hard to hold on to all of this. Like if I want to make a sentence, I need to hold on to all of those words while I go through the process of accessing, yeah. you know, selecting all of these buttons. Yeah. So it's just, it's tough. And I love that pod kind of alleviates that. And I also love because it's based on pragmatic functions, it just feels a lot more connective and social. Absolutely. So um, my daughter, Angela, Angela, 
Alma has the best stories. That's why I always tell her stories. Yeah. She is known to um, say bathroom jokes. And so um, she will say, um, I'm asking a question, bathroom. Then she'll say, chat, turn the page, just joking. Or she'll say, I have an idea, bathroom. Or then she'll say, let's pretend bathroom all with, you know, the biggest smile on her face gives her all those different ways to say the same thing. Or my son, Jaden, he always wanted to eat. So he would say, um, I want, which is a pragmatic branch starter to eat. Very simple. Mm -hmm. Then he'd say, I'm telling you something. It's about now activities eat. Then he'd say, I have an idea activities eat and then he'd say i'm asking a question when back to page one i want to eat so it just gives them that personality that that way to play around with their language and you know be a jokester that's what i love it i feel like it really does allow my kids to joke around and i can see their personality even through the light tech and high tech um, systems. Well, it's a be- you just gave a beautiful example of how one single word eat can be used in so many contexts yeah. for so many yeah. functions. And if yeah. we didn't have that foundation with pod, you know, a child could be using a traditional speech generating device or app hitting eat and we don't know, right? Yeah. Maybe, maybe something's wrong. Stomach hurts. Eat, not eat. Exactly. <laughs> you know? Or like, exactly. let's go eat, or let's not go eat. Let's go eat at a restaurant, or yeah, yeah, for sure. And if you look, you know, at typically developing kids, they, you know, they're telling jokes and they're commenting and they're using language yeah. for a variety of purposes, and yeah. that's so important. That's what that kids are motivated by telling <laughs> jokes and making us laugh and things like that. And the pragmatic part of it also takes the place of that inflection in your voice. Mm-hmm. So uh, let's say I want coffee. I can say coffee. Well, what does that mean? I could say coffee. And we know that was a question. I could say, ugh, coffee. You know, that's coffee's gross. Well, that's, we can do that using pragmatics as well, um, which is amazing. Absolutely. So parents of children with special needs are so busy. As you know, you have your hands full over there. What what are some easy ways for parents to start facilitating communication? Like, I feel like parents often feel overwhelmed and daunted. So I feel like the first thing that parents need to do is get a hold of a robust system. And I know that it seems overwhelming at first, but they need to be taught never to open that book and only maybe use that first front page mm-hmm. for, for a while. So like, don't be digging, don't be digging, don't scare yourself. We're just going to work on quick chat words for the next month. Right. We're going to carry the book around with us. We're going to get used to that or the high tech device, you know, whichever they're going for. Mm -hmm. Um, And so um, I would then suggest to once you feel like they've mastered quick chat, which is, which is really easy. It's me, you hurry up. uh Oh, stop help more finished. Let's do something else. Bathroom. I don't know. Turn the page, do other things on the next page. Yeah. So it's really easy stuff that we can talk about all the time with our kids, especially during mealtime, you know, more finished, my exactly. turn, your turn. So then once they have um, mastered that quick chat, 
then I would suggest pulling in another pragmatic branch. Mm-hmm. So for us, it was, I want, because requesting was pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and kids will, you know, kids will, you know, get onto that one. Um, and then just the same thing, the same thing, only using, now you're only going to use the first couple pages and um, the I want. And, and of course, like on your own time, you can go exploring and you're probably going to start to see some patterns and you're probably going to say, oh, wow, this really isn't as complex as what I thought it was. Yeah. <laughs> the book is big only because there's a lot of words, but you'd be surprised how many words you actually use when you're trying to talk. Um, and the organization of the book leads you through it. Um, mm-hmm. So you're never really searching for anything. Um, but yeah, so that would be my advice to parents is make sure they have a full system, no mm-hmm. cheating and just printing out the first two pages, because that's just going to make you lazy when it comes to asking you to carry around the big book, you know, right, right. So make sure you have a big book, only use the quick chat words. And that book must always be in eyesight at all times. Yeah. Um, and that can take a while for some parents, but once they master that, <laughs> then we, then we just move on and we keep going. Right. And I believe wholeheartedly in that approach. It can feel overwhelming for parents to start a system and feel like every single moment of every single day, I have to be modeling these complex phrases and just start small, build habits that can sustain you and just keep adding on and building on to the already established habit. Yeah, that's really, that's really important. And I think uh, a lot of parents who are listening out there and speech therapists will appreciate you giving, you know, the, them permission to not feel like they have to tackle the whole thing all at once. No, 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 no. They'll get really overwhelmed for sure. Exactly. It can be overwhelming. And, you know, the reality is if a, if a family isn't, you know, providing all of that support and that, that Mm -hmm. modeling, you know, it's Mm -hmm. the kind of systems null and void in a lot of ways. Yeah. Well, you're only going to get out what you put into it. So that's the other thing that the parents need to know, though. You yes. know, if you exactly. never move past quick chat, then you're never going to move past quick chat. So, uh, you know, exactly. it's, it's sacrifice, it's dedication. But um, again, we're talking about a human right here and, and we'll do anything to give our kids communication. Absolutely. Um, is there anything else that you would love to share that we haven't touched on? Any funny stories or anything like that? <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have tons of stories. You need to write a book, Karen. I'm sure you could fill those pages really quickly. I don't have a lot of Harper stories because she, in past, would just scream every time. But now she's actually participating, which is really cool. And it's not a funny story, but... Um, you know, she's actually learned how to raise her hand um, to initiate conversation, which is so big. So, yeah. so big. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a perfect testament to this is a long game. You know, you yep. may not always get the, the yep. result right off the bat, but you have to be persistent yep. and believe. That was two years. So oh, we man. had that book in front of her for two years. And we're just now, everything is starting to click now. Two years. That's powerful. And people don't want to wait two years. Like, and it didn't pass the 60-day trial. Well, we're on to the next device. Uh, I know. Um, and I work with a lot of families, actually. It's just kind of the expectation is this needs to work, and it needs to work right now. And if it doesn't, we need to switch systems, which, you know, that's an exhausting journey. Yeah. yeah, it's sad. I think you just, you got to catch that vision, you know. We're no longer looking in the now. 
because the now is too overwhelming. We're now looking into the future because this is a, a proven system. Mm-hmm. It's been proven that this works. And so we just need to kind of trust the system. As long as the child has the correct access method, mm-hmm. that modeling is being done, they will be successful. They really will be. And now will they say thousands of words? Maybe not. You know, some of them might, yeah. some of them might not, but only if they can ever speak two or three words, it has yeah. been worth it. We, we always just make the least dangerous assumption. And that is, is that they're all going to be Nobel Peace Prize winners. <laughs> love, 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 love. And then where can people find you online, Karen? They can find me on Facebook, um, search We Speak Pod. And it usually comes up. And then also YouTube, We Speak Pod. And then my Instagram is linked from my Facebook. But my Instagram handle is The Owens Family Life. Perfect. And we can definitely link to those in the show notes. If you haven't already, go to tech.speechscience.org. You can ask us a question there. You'll see the show notes for this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Karen, thank you so much for joining us today. Sure. Have fun. Thank you. Absolutely. Well, welcome back once again to Talking With Tech, uh, presented by Speech Science. My name is Lucas Stuber, along with Rachel Madel and Chris Begay. Um, I, I totally agree, Rachel. I thought that was a fantastic interview. And for me, it raised a lot of questions, but one of the ones that um, comes up immediately is, you know, everything that, that parents handle in this process, right? So, so, so what was she dealing with? I mean, what are some things that parents deal with when they have a child with multiple disabilities on an IEP? On an IEP level, you know, it's definitely how can we create goals that support the use of the device, the frequent use of the device, Um, because obviously we know that we need those goals to guide us, to get us to where we need to be. Um, So that's one area where I see a lot in my practice is how, okay, so we have a device, we have the strategies that we're using to, to try to implement it. How do we make everybody accountable? Because it's at the end of the day, that accountability piece is the most important. And when parents especially get busy and overwhelmed and they have so many moving pieces with these, with the, these kids, how do, they, how do we set up the support to help them? So Rachel, how do what kind of suggestions do you give? Do you, do you advocate for putting it in the um, accommodations? And if so, how? How are some suggestions you do that? Um, So one goal that I really like writing is frequency of use. So we put, you know, very specific language and numbers as to how often a child will use the device. And then I like to spread that across multiple communication functions. So not just we'll use the device to request during snack time, um, but to use it to request, to comment, to ask questions, to really make people accountable on the team for we're not just using this for requesting and we have to get to a certain number by the end of a five-day period. So I think that using those parameters is a really good way to, to get there. Do you typically put pragmatic functions as separate goals or do you, okay, do you wrap them into one goal? Because I could see how it, it gets difficult to measure if you wrap them into the same goal, but it's just something I see people do sometimes. So I don't know. How, what, do you, what do you think? It's really tough when it comes to goal writing for me because I, we've all seen those IEPs that have 10 communication goals. And I remember what it was like being that 
school-based SLP that had to target 10 goals and had 80 kids. What is that? 800 goals. <laughs> I'm not good at math, but I think that's a lot of goals to remember. So it's just, I am constantly telling clinicians that I supervise, I supervise CFY and speech therapy assistant clinicians. And I'm constantly telling them we need to be really strategic about the goals that we're choosing, not right. just this like blanket approach, but what is we could with these kids, we could do 10 different things and they would all be successful. But I think that the job of the clinician is prioritizing what's the most important to get to where we want to go. Um, so anyway, back circling back to your question, Chris, as far as would I make two separate goals, it's kind of on a case by case basis, but I think that making, making one goal that's just easy for, for clinicians and teachers and paraprofessionals to take data on is really important. So yep. I think that that's, it comes down to that. If it's easy and people feel like, okay, I can easily break this down and take data on it simply, then I think that, that that's a, the mark of a good goal. Right. Well, and that's, you know, we, we refer to them as SMART goals very often, right? And I'm not going to give the acronym because the first person who emails us at tech at speechscience.org and tells me accurately what a SMART goal stands for, I will give you an app. Um, so stay tuned, shoot that, shoot that to us. But that's something I always, um, you know, drill into the, the clinicians that I train certainly, you know, um, and now I, I wanted to talk about it, but now I can't because I, I made it a contest, <laughs> but you know, I mean, the critical thing is making sure because, you know, so, so here's a question, right? Uh, you know, many, many states and many districts now write, um, write all their goals according to the common core. And, and, you know, there's, there's a great question out there as to, you know, whether that's something that's going to be ongoing and the extent to which there's, you know, districts complying with that. But when you're writing a goal, and maybe this is more Chris since you're in the schools, um, do you write to the, the chronological age of a student if they're 17 or to the developmental age, like if they're, you know, functioning at a third grade academic level? Uh, I think you might have multiple goals. Right. So I want to look at the, since we're specifically speaking at language, right, you might be looking at the developmental level for the language aspect of it. Right. So um, uh, you might put if a student is at a, uh, I don't know, we use a, we use a tool that uh, we've developed called the uh, continuum of language expression called the coal. Right. Ooh, well, we I like that. Uh, a bunch of uh, myself and two other speech therapists and a preschool student, a uh, preschool teacher got together and we looked at all of these different uh, language development resources, some books, uh, Robert Owen's books, uh, the communication matrix, which I know we've uh, had uh, discussions on this podcast about that before. Um, and we, we took a bunch of those, synthesized them together and developed our own. So a teacher could go through and they could say, okay, where is the student lie on the on language development? And they can use that next parameter as the goal. Okay, well, he's not doing these things or she's not doing these things. And these are really the next steps on the staircase that I want him or her to get to. So let's write that as the goal. That gives you that also that managing expectations, tying it back to that, that you can kind of look at the breadth of language development and you can kind of break it up in these steps to see what's coming next and where are we headed, right? Which direction are we going in? And that's um, one of the, I don't know, maybe it's a, a con of the way the current system works of IEPs is that we're 
many people can fall in the trap of that. We're only looking at this year, right? We only write goals for this year. Sure, and then you only sure. look the next year goes by and you only look for goals this year. And if you don't have this um, long-term uh, thought process of what's the student going to do when they graduate, then you can kind of get lost in that we're doing the same thing every year. <laughs> Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. I think that it's the number one thing that I see not being done is looking big picture. So it's just, we get so laser focused on these specific goals for the specific year, but we really need to take a step back frequently and look, how does this support our grand, our grand vision? Right. I, I would right. add too that one of the benefits to, to give a, a pro of having these individual go, goals is that it does help parents when they're um, going back home and they're like, okay, how am I going to implement this communication device? They're telling me I should be modeling on it all day long and I have groceries and I have kids to get just seat belted in and I have to get to the doctors and how do I manage life and model on the device all the time? Well, listen, we're saying, Focus on this specific goal. I'd like you to do this tonight. And if you do it um, more than you did it yesterday, you're winning. You know, do something that's uh, just one increment in that direction. Right. If you don't have success because you've taken on a goal that's way too big, then you won't have success. And the reality is we need parents and caregivers and paraprofessionals and teachers, we need them to start having success. And the way to do that is to start small and then expand on what we're already doing. Um, you know, I just, an AAC device that never gets used, what good is that? Right. Exactly. I use right. the analogy of uh, how do you eat an elephant with a fork, right? Lucas, you know? <laughs> hey, I like that. <laughs> <laughs> one bite at a time, right? So it's good, or like starting any exercise routine or, mm -hmm. or diet or any anything that you want to do to make yourself better. It's like you just take the next five minutes, right? You make the next day. So I'm going to do one push up today. I'll do two tomorrow. I'll do three the next day. It's the kind of the same idea. All right, I'm going to model once tonight. I'm going to sit here with my kid with a, with them on my lap or next to me. I'm going to have this book and I'm just going to hit turn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because I know I can learn right. with the idea that somewhere down the line you'll be saying thousands of words and, you know and then going back to the the comment you made about the best time to start is now you know I, I remember thinking about all my friends um, starting their New Year's resolutions and it's like don't start something new because it's New Year's start something new because it's today it's new I mean if it's yeah. that important start it now like no matter what it doesn't matter if it's the second or the third or the 28th you know yeah and one thing that I love about most of my therapy is in home and it's there's no better way to see all the things that these parents juggle than being oh, yeah. in their mm -hmm. home when they're juggling. <laughs> so it's just, it's a constant reminder that these parents are so busy and a lot of times overwhelmed. So if I can just make, if I can make communication a little bit easier by finding a routine and then embedding something very natural into the routine, and then all of a sudden they're wow, Rachel, I'm doing this routine every day and we use the device every day for this routine, just building off of that. Exactly. Right. We always put the dishes in the dishwasher. So how can I use the AAC device when I'm putting the dishes in the dishwasher? We always do the laundry on Sundays. So we always exactly. sit and watch football. We all, Great. Well, how can we integrate it during what you already do so that you don't have to recreate the wheel? That's one thing that we sort of by default don't have in a one-on-one -on -one situation in school is we don't have an authentic social setting for the student, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, one of my big tasks is to try to create that through social groups and through, you know, doing intervention on the playground and these other things. But when you're in a child's home, you, you really, 
you really get to be embedded in their in their behavior and you know in their commenting and their wants and needs and their humanity. So I, I prefer it, but mm-hmm. nothing against the schools. <laughs> no, well, you know, Lucas, that's a, that's an interesting thing. I don't know how it works out in your end of the, the woods, but over here in uh, preschools, the, the preschool teachers actually do home visits. But that all changes when you get to kindergarten age. And there's a good question there: Why? You know, yeah, right. It's just sort of an arbitrary thing, just like, um, okay, kid gets to fifth grade or maybe it's sixth grade, depends on the different school districts. But uh, and now they go to middle school and uh, all the training and all the people that work with them and know what the heck they're doing because they've they've had years of experience. Sorry, arbitrary. You got to go. You know, right. Right. And uh, that's part of the system, you know, that maybe we need to be looking at and how to change. Um, so what are some solutions? I mean, what can we offer parents here? Uh, you know, I mean, there's, there's like, say you're sitting in an IEP meeting and you're, you have, you have a child who's, who's eight years old, who's newly diagnosed, you know, not newly diagnosed, but has a, a new educational diagnosis and, um, you know, is being considered uh, eligible for assistive technology. You know, how do you advocate for yourself in that scenario? Well, I think there's some absolutes that you absolutely need to have, right? Uh, there's, it's, if you're going to have a communication system, that's got to be written into the accommodation, not necessarily the brand name of the Yes, uh, of thank the you system. for saying that. Yep. But mm-hmm. uh, the system needs to be written in. So uh, second, training needs to be written in as an accommodation, um, uh, specifically meaning the communication partners working with your child need to be using the device uh, along with them. So, so often I see that as a step that is left out. Yeah, we got the device written in and it's there but the people in the environment don't know how to use it, right? And they're not necessarily going to use it. So put it as an accommodation. And then uh, third, I think it's what Rachel had started this conversation with is let, let's look at how are we writing the goals? You know, where are we going? But there's also a flip side to that, right? That a lot of school districts have the perception that private SLPs are writing goals that are sort of going to keep the kids perpetually in these private services, right? You know, um, so, you know, that's another misconception that we have to, you know, fight. Um, is sometimes what you see with the extremes of expectation are on the, are on the private side. And I'm sure that's not racial and it's definitely not me. My, my biggest joy is releasing the student. I could not um, agree more. Some other practical strategies for parents' takeaways. Uh, if they were listening to this podcast, I'd hope that they would understand that they're not in it alone. There's a whole community out there. Yeah. I think Karen mentioned that in the interview. So go find the other people that are struggling with the same things you're struggling with. Find the strategies. There, You're not the first one to have to deal with this. So find the other people that have dealt with it and see how they've done it, you know, um, understand that it is going to take a long time like the analogy of uh like we said sprinter marathon or um it's going to be like building a house rather than unlocking a door you know uh it takes lots of hammers and nail and multiple people to to build this house and it takes a long time so stick with it stick with the plan um don't give up on on a device after two or three years it takes longer than that um for to see uh, to see the real benefits necessarily. I mean, you might see immediate successes, uh, but then if you plateau, stick with it, stay with the course. We got to celebrate these small wins because, you know, if you're just looking at the big picture at the finish line, you're not going to see all the amazing progress that kids are making every single Mm -hmm. day. So I think that we need to reshift our focus in a lot of ways. Well, I think this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me, uh, Rachel and Chris. Uh, as always, um, I, I feel like I've learned a lot and uh, hopefully haven't talked too much. 
Um, so again, this is Lucas Stuber for Talking with Tech with Speech Science. Uh, we would love to hear your questions and comments. Please contact us at tech at speechscience.org or you can go to tech.speechscience.org. And we have some kind of exciting news coming up. Uh, we're going to have some, some much more in-depth show notes there for you. And there might just be some, uh, some continuing education opportunities here coming up in the next few weeks based on um, our content and the rest of the content in the speech science uh, you know, uh, network. So anyway, stay tuned. Big changes ahead. And uh, you know, as always, we're just beyond thankful to, to have you here and look forward to answering your questions. <laughs>